जय श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय गुड इवनिंग एवरीवन नाइस टू बी हियर वेरी स्पिरिचुअल एटमॉस्फेयर ऑन अ वेरी स्पिरिचुअल ओकेजन एज इट टर्न्स आउट Radhastami is the uh, of course the appearance of Radha doesn't occur on a full moon but on the eighth day of the waxing moon isn't it yes and of course Krishna appears on the eighth day of the waning moon So if you put the two together you get a full moon of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Sriman Mahaprabhu Gosunda Kijai So I try to speak a little bit about um the spiritual significance ontological position of Sri Radha as understood in the line of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu all of you may not be members of that line although a good number of you seem to be acquainted to some extent or another um but to whatever extent the audience may be mixed and thereby less or more familiar with the topic from the perspective of our particular lineage um I try to speak in such a way that hopefully everyone can uh find something of interest is interesting enough to be compelling enough to uh bring us to some action that is worthwhile and uh, that will result in auspiciousness for us from a spiritual perspective so another way to say it is too high for some and too low for others the nature of uh, such discussions with mixed audiences something that is quite uh uh the norm if you will in one sense from our lineage which in one sense has its early beginnings in the speech of sukadev to the raj parikshit which was a very we talked about a little bit last night some of you were present which was a very mixed uh, audience and so the bhagavad itself which is the central uh text of our tradition that was embraced by shri chaitanya as his very heart is speak spoken to a mixed audience and and of course that's why we we stress the fact that if we want to understand that text we do well to hear it from kind of an inside uh, inside person so to speak hmm? if you know the speaker then when he or she speaks maybe tells a joke that nobody else will pick up on because you can pick up on it you you know that what's behind it maybe what he was or she was doing the day before thinking about or talking about and how it comes up in the talk and so on and so forth so we uh, do uh, consider that our particular lineage um understands the the message of the bhagavad what is the sacred text that we 
hold so dear, and I spoke a little bit about it last night. Um, different sects, of course, appreciate it from different angles of vision, but what is drawn from it in our particular line is very uh, uh, extraordinary, very uh, very charming. Hmm? And, of course, it comes to the very subject of today's discussion. Radha, or hmm, Radha's love for Krishna, she's the personification of the um, most complete love of Krishna. So, while it may be too high for some, too low for others, some patience is required. If it's too low for you, and some patience is required, if it goes too high for you, or or beyond your technical uh, acquaintance and familiarity and so forth. So I, I beg you to a little bit of patience. Um, and I'll try to speak also in such a way that even if you do not understand it intellectually, there will be some benefit. Hmm. So I speak from my heart and I try to translate that into, into logical type of a flow of words and so forth, that you are rational animals, as it's thought, that you may um, digest and hopefully swallow, swallow, that you will swallow and digest my feelings on the subject matter. That's unfortunately what we are left with. You have to listen to a poor man (laughs) speak tonight. So I want to speak a little bit from this book here. It would be appropriate. Um, this is a small book commentary on Shikshastakam. Some of you are familiar with Shikshastakam. Shikshastakam is, Shiksha means, of course, instruction, and Astakam means eight. So there are eight uh, teachings in this book. And uh, and uh, they were spoken by Sri Chaitanya. Sri Chaitanya, of course, appeared about 500 years ago in West Bengal. Mm-hmm. And he is the, uh, the founder, uh, Acharya, <laughs> of our uh, lineage, which he is thought to be, and for good reason, uh, Krishna in his... Acharya Lila. Acharya means achar means behavior. So the implication is that uh, an acharya means a teacher. So one who teaches by their behavior, by their character, uh, by their example, uh, more than uh, precept. As much as precept speaks or example speaks louder than precept, it said. So he was very um, careful. You can imagine. Krishna, if he decides to appear as a teacher about himself, he will have good character <laughs> and uh, exemplify the teachings very well. This is very characteristic of Chaitanya. And, and to, to give a, an example, uh, to play out what I'm speaking about, he only spoke eight verses. It's not a lot. Uh, most acharyas in the systems of Vedanta, of which there are many, different nuanced understandings of the nature of Brahman, the Absolute, and so forth, uh, usually make their case with volumes and volumes of writing. Mm-hmm. 
uh, rather heady and um, uh, complex worldviews hmm? derived from the sacred text and so forth. And I'm describing Chaitanya here as Sri Chaitanya as the founder, Acharya, the, the Swasti, the Samasti guru. Hmm? Samasti means like the macrocosmic guru, and then all the gurus in the lineage are the Vyasti. Uh, Samasti and Vyasti. Vyasti means like the microcosmic manifestation of that uh, that he embodied, which is the very embodiment of the teachings of how to love Krishna, hmm? how to love God, how to love perfectly <laughs> would be the idea. To love perfectly, of course, we need a couple of things in place. We need a perfect object of love. Because if we give our love, however completely, to an imperfect object, imperfect in the sense that it, it cannot perfectly accept our love, embrace it, digest it, and, of course, reciprocate in kind. Love is reciprocal, and it will be measured, if at all, on a scale of reciprocal dealings. Hmm? The more that you and I become one in the word we without extinguishing one another in a dynamic union where my heart becomes yours and your heart becomes mine uh, that we have attained what we call love so it is a, it is a, again uh, evaluated if at all on a scale of the measure the extent to which there's reciprocation, there's my embracing your heart, your desires is mine, and you embracing my heart, and my desires is yours. Hmm? So, hmm. it's kind of a, a unity, if you will, and a diversity. Love requires that we become, the two become one, but they become one, as I want to say, in a dynamic way. We includes you and I, hmm? It doesn't extinguish you or I in the name of uh, unity. So, if we want to love perfectly, or let us say completely, one of the things we require, then it would seem, is a perfect object of love to repose our loving capacity in that can fully reciprocate. In other words, we could repose our love in, in many things, and whatever you repose it in, it's not necessarily a bad idea from the broader perspective. Hmm? Giving is a good idea, and giving, loving, serving tends to hone of its own the object of its repose. Hmm? That means if we give imperfectly by way of giving to an imperfect object that cannot perfectly reciprocate, hmm, then if we have given, nonetheless, on our part, and this is the other half of the equation of loving, without expectation of return, I'm saying you need a perfect object of love and you have to to give without expectation of getting. These are the two things which would make for the perfect love. Hmm? So, 
if we can give without expectation of return. Hmm? But to an imperfect object that cannot fully accept, hmm, we will not get in return, in kind, the kind of reciprocation that, that corresponds, if you will, with the giving, and we will not experience the adage, true as it is, that giving is the getting. We'll experience it to, experience it to some extent. Sometimes, therefore, we get frustrated with, I gave, <laughs> and I didn't get anything, and it was... Uh, yeah. So, uh, that's a problem. But it, so at least a little bit of a little bit of a uh, little bit of math is required to the art of the whole thing, if you will. And just like in math or music, music, let's say it's a, it's an it's an art, and but there's math to it as well on the underlying. I didn't get the math too well this evening while, while singing, but <laughs> so um, nonetheless, uh, if we give and to an imperfect object, the nature of the giving is such that the more we can hone our giving in terms of it being selfless and without expectation of return, the more the giving in itself will refine gradually the object of love. In other words, it will take us to a more refined object of love and we'll end up with the perfect object of love. Therefore, you should give in any case. And there's a section in the Gita in the 12th chapter chapter where, where, where giving, if you will, is, is spoken about in, in, in some kind of a gradation. Krishna says, if you can't do this, do this. If you can't do this, do this. If you can't love me this way, then do this. And in one of his comment, comments on the section, my Guru Maharaj said, and if you can't do that, just do something. Just give to somebody, somewhere. Somewhere give to something to somebody. Got to start somewhere, something like that. Hmm? So this idea of bhakti that Radha is the he's presiding deity of Bhakti Devi. This is what it's about. It's about honing this uh, giving um, um, capacity that we have. We are a unit of giving capacity. We give ourselves constantly, somewhere, knowingly or unknowingly. So how to to, to hone that hmm? and uh, bring it to its uh, perfection. This is the uh, really what Uttam or Shuddha. Bhakti in our school is about. It's kind of simple in, in, in one sense, although there is a very uh, complex theology and philosophy that, that underlies it. Not from the pen of Sri Chaitanya, is my point. He only wrote eight verses. His followers wrote um, uh, thousands and thousands of verses trying to make sense out of his love, because it's hard to make sense out of love. Hmm? That's a difficult exercise. Indeed, love knows no reason, it said. And it's true. Hmm? But they tried, and they did a pretty good job of, if you will, translating love into, into reason. A real teacher has to speak the language of love. It's not, you know, Sanskrit or Bengali or English. It's, it's um, what makes that world go round, the world of Krishna Lila. That is love. That is bhava. So... How you translate that into reason, into uh, then it's difficult, but this is a task. Hmm? So they did that. Chaitanya Dev was like a waterfall, if you will, of of love. Our tradition is about plumbing the depths of the ecstasy that Sri Chaitanya embodied. Hmm? 
And that ecstasy is what we call Radha. And his immediate followers, they took, as I'm saying, the waterfall of his love and ecstasy. There's no one in the religious history of the world, the spiritual history of the world, whose ecstatic uh, manifestations of love exceed or even compare to that which was exhibited by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's quite shocking, actually, um, what uh, the history records through a number of pens of illiterate um, um, men of the time. Uh, numerous um, biographies and um, all of which are of course um, um, while telling the story if you will of his advent uh, uh, explaining it philosophically uh, at the same time Um, so there's quite a body of uh, of, of, of um, testimony as to his the measure of his ecstasy. It's very extraordinary. We we hear in different traditions, of course, that there will be ecstasy. Ecstasy means to some experience beyond the the the, the can of the senses and the mind. Hmm? We were talking a little bit yesterday and last night about the basic difference between consciousness and matter, between non-experiential reality and experiential reality. It's like the difference between, well, being bored and being ecstatic in one sense, just the fact that we're alive and experiencing in comparison to matter is very extraordinary. Uh, If I was to be asked, what is the most profound experience that I've had in my life? I would say it's the fact that I experience that's pretty powerful compared to everything else around me. I assume you are too, but um, the fact that we are experiencing this is this is very extraordinary, and that we can know about it, think about it, consider it, reflect upon it. What the doctrine of the Bhagwat, the teaching of the Bhagwat, and the person of Sri Chaitanya, who personifies those teachings, want to convey to us is something that far exceeds this extraordinary um, difference between ourselves and matter. If you were to take ice, what could you do with it? You could cool water, but if you took water, what could you do with it? You could make fire. That's pretty different. In other words, our present position, so to speak, identified as we are with the non-experiential reality. Hmm? I gave the example last night that sometimes it requires a viewer to turn on the television, but sometimes the television takes over the life of the viewer. That's a problem. So our position is something like that. We've turned on material nature, so to speak, animated it, but the show, it's... it's, it's um, playing itself out, we become enamored by hmm? and identified with, kind of a virtual, living in a virtual reality and, and, and suffering the, the, tra- uh, in, uh, the, the transformations, the changes that matter goes through, hmm? which are really external to ourselves, but by way of identification. We think we're dying, getting old, and so on and so forth. Hmm? So that 
the difference between ourselves and matter is like the difference between maybe ice and, 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 and water in one sense. So it's big, it's dramatic, it's, 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 uh, it's, they're diametrically exposed, uh, uh, diametrically opposed. Experiential reality versus a non-experiential reality. Life versus death, so to speak. This is such a profound thing that some and many and most um, teachers of Vedanta, yoga, mysticism in, in the Islamic or the Christian tradition, and across the board, stop there. It's a heavy and profound uh, point. The difference between consciousness and matter can really stop you in your tracks in terms of the pursuit of happiness in connection with the fleeting world of, that is here today and gone tomorrow. We are in pursuit of joy, but an enduring kind of happiness, and it's not very reasonable to think that we'll find it in relation to things that don't endure. But this is the condition where we, that we find ourselves in. Pursuing enduring happiness in relation to things that don't endure. This is like, a, you know, two plus two equals three. This equation is very bad here. But this is how we proceed. Hmm? Some people say, well, I don't, I'm not really looking for perfect happiness. But that's a folly, actually. You may not look for it in a philosophical context. This is not my philosophy that, that there's eternal joy. I'm not living in that. But from a day to day, we see that we are pursuing that. We are pursuing perfect knowledge. Knowledge that perfectly informs our action such that our action will make us happy. That's what everybody does. Mm-hmm. So who's crazy? Those who say that there's perfect knowledge or those who say there's not and still pursue it. And, and deny that they are at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, um, this difference between consciousness and matter is, extra- is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And as I say, it's so uh, luminous, enlightening, startling to ponder the implications of, of what we're talking about that many philosophers just stop there. Just to, just to say that the, the, the conventional ego of I am American or man or woman or Californian, uh, Hindu or Catholic, this conventional sense of, of, of self, that, that this is um, uh, not real. Hmm? It's a pretty strong uh, point. It's, it's just a kind of a fabrication of the of the brain in, in modern terminology. There's a self that appears there. There's a me in William James's kind of philosopher of times gone by outlook. There's a me, and then there's an I. The me, that is here today and gone tomorrow, made up of as, as it is by the things that we think are mine. Me and mine. So what is mine is me. You understand me? <laughs> what we think is mine, that's what we think is me. Our, our me is defined by our sense of my. It's my house. It's my country. It's my family. So, what am I? Well, I am, or me am, <laughs> uh, uh, 
a Californian, uh, you know, a person, a Marlboro man, if I smoke that brand, or whatever may be the case. So, so our desires, hmm, in relation to things, cause us to be identified with things. But we know that the best things in life are not things. Uh, so this this identity that's formed on the basis of attachment to things, in the sense that they are they are they are ours is very problematic. It's as here today and gone tomorrow as the things that it's constructed of. Hmm? So it must be de- de- deconstructed. That's how they say, and death, you see. Death is a problem. You have to deconstruct this sense of me that's based on my. Hmm? Then you have no more... You don't. You, what happens to you? Well, according to some people in cognitive science or philosophy of mind, then, then the illusion that there's a self would disappear. But as I said, William James, and I, would, I think he was right in this, had an I also. So there's a me and an I. I is, I exist. That's not going away. Hmm? I'm American, that's going away. I exist, that's not going to go away. Because that which exists will always exist. That which doesn't, doesn't exist will never exist. Existence cannot come out of non-existence. Hmm? If existence can, can you think about can can existence come out of can can experiential existence come out of non-experiential existence? If it's non-experiential, well, how can experience come out of that? So we don't come out of the non-experiential reality or matter. Hmm? And as I said last night, matter is governed by time and space. So we are not governed by time and space. Maybe we've always been, we always will be. This is a very startling hmm, idea. Hmm. So we have, I am American, that's a problem. That's like, you're in negative numbers. Karma is like negative numbers. You borrowed money from the bank, and you got so much more money until you read the fine print. And you realized you owe so much more money than you had previously, and that what they have now, having borrowed. Anyone who has a mortgage knows the you know the story. You borrowed a hundred thousand, you owe whatever it is, three hundred thousand. But you know this in fine print, so you just like kind of like we'll get to that later. <laughs> right now we've got something, and so this material life is something like that. The karmic uh, realm of exploitation is that in which we think we've got something, and the cost of it is is really not. Um, is overlooked. It's this should be something that we could readily identify with in a, in a kind of a credit card economy that we we live in. We want something, we get it. We can't afford it, but we get it anyway. And um, so, I would liken then in this example our karmic implication to negative numbers. We've gone into negative numbers, and then to come out of negative numbers. Hmm? And the false identity that I'm American, for example, and arrive at I am, would be to arrive from negative numbers to zero. Zero has a positive context in relation to negative numbers. And so many spiritual paths, most of them, in the marketplace today, they end at this big positive zero. It's huge in comparison to negative numbers. Hmm? I am. I mean, think about it. It's very powerful. I am. I mean, what we're saying is, 
You are a unit of enduring experiential existence. You never die. That's that's. That, if you really could understand the implications of that, no anxiety, no fear. You start to start to feel happy. <laughs> wow, that feels it's kind of a huge relief. Hmm? Your knowledge in that situation constitutes knowing that which is not hmm, going to not real. Hmm? You stopped identifying that which is here today and gone tomorrow. Hmm? You know what is not real. Hmm? You know that you exist, and it feels good. Hmm? And some people call that bliss. Some people call it ananda. Hmm? It's something kind of, we would say, yeah, there's some ananda in there. There's some relief, a huge amount of relief, actually. Huge, it's huge. So I am is huge, but the question in Chaitanya Vaishnavism, in the Bhagavad school is, okay, we have negative numbers. That's our material implication, karmic implication. Hmm? It means we've taken and now we owe. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Hmm? You've exploited, you've identified with matter, so you feel empty, so you, you have to take from the environment, mentally, emotionally, physically, Hmm? We're takers. That's why I feel uncomfortable. Because if you take something that doesn't belong to you, it's a little uncomfortable, even though it, you know you got it, but you have to look over your shoulder, <laughs> so to speak. Hmm? This is the problem. This is the material life. Is something like that. Hmm? There's a there's a oh, there's a pervading kind of anxiety, hmm? anxiousness discomfort. We were thinking, if I could just steal one more thing, we don't think we're like that, if I could just get one one more thing, that'd be okay. But it's not about adding anything to our lives, really. It's about removing the, the criminal the tendency, if you will, within us, the taker in us. It's about becoming a giver. And not taking is not the full face of giving. Zero, therefore, is not taking. I'm not taking. I'm not American. I'm not, a, or whatever. I'm not identified. I am. I am. That's positive, but it's really only half of the full face of giving. Not taking is part of giving. Question is, therefore, in Chaitanya Vaishnavism, given our analogy, are there any positive numbers? You follow me? From negative numbers to zero. We could get waylaid there, I am, oh, and almost pass out at that. Hmm? Hmm? And some people do, but the bold, the, the boldness, if you will, of, uh, of Chaitanya Vaishnavism is that they want to explore beyond the zero. Are there any positive numbers? You even bring it up because we, you know, like, what are you talking about? More, more than that? We become silent. And you want to talk. You understand? You come to zero, then silence. Shanti, shanti, shanti. What's there to say? What's there to do? If you're full, why move? If you have no desire, then why move? Therefore, what is this leela? It is movement. Karma is movement, like quicksand. When we were kids, we used to watch the Tarzan movies, you know, sometimes. So when a guy would get stuck in the quicksand, then Tarzan would say, don't move. 
because the more you move, the more you would go down, of course. And he would have to swing in on a vine, you know, and, and pick you up. Hmm? So, so it's a, our movement in relation to matter, which is moving, it's a moving, you know, you can't ever get it, really. It really, scientifically speaking, we can never even touch matter. Heisenberg said a long time ago, of course, that we can only experience our experience of the, of the, of the material world. Hmm? We're grounded in consciousness, and there's nowhere else to go. Hmm? Nonetheless, we have desires in relation to matter, as I said. But if we can see through the folly of that and come to zero, then why move? But Leela is a kind of movement, so what is that? In other words, we can philosophize, well, you should stop moving. I'll say, if you don't have desire, you don't have to move. You go, yeah, that sounds right, yeah, that's true. I can sit. Hmm? And that's why you can't, excuse me, that's why you can't sit hmm? for very long hmm? and do your spiritual practice. Because you're being animated by desires in relation to things and thoughts. Hmm? Thoughts, from our perspective, are also things. They're subtle things, but still. It's not because we think that we know. If you can stop thinking, you will know something much bigger than any thought hmm, can produce. Hmm? What kind of space, beyond space, beyond time? Hmm? It's not because we have eyes we can see or ears that we can hear. These are getting in the way of our hearing, seeing, and thoughts in the way of our knowing. Hmm? So again, to come from negative numbers to zero is huge. And then from there, to pose the question, are there any positive numbers? I mean, it's just like, what are you talking about? We're supposed to be quiet now. We're not supposed to move. We're supposed to be peaceful. Why are you agitated? Why do you want to move? Hmm? The point is here, there's another kind of movement. There's movement out of necessity, and there's movement that comes out, not out of necessity in terms of, I need something, a perceived need, an emptiness, a lacking. A need here, I mean, by I, la- I lack something, therefore I move. Hmm? But there can be a need to move out of fullness as well. Hmm? I'm so full that I have to move and I have to dance and celebrate that. Hmm? And our deity is depicted like that. Hmm? Hmm? Hands in the air, beautifully dancing. Hmm? Simon Mahaprabhu Sri Chaitanya Dev is exploring the positive numbers not a, in, in, in an extreme, extreme measure, for that matter. There are some other traditions that do explore positive numbers. One, two... Three, and he is exploring 108, something like that. I mean, it's, we'll get there. It's very extraordinary, the idea hmm? that, uh, this, that, that he embodies, and this embodiment is what we call uh, Radha. Hmm? Uh, so, 
we are not tonight talking about, we are a little bit, the difference between consciousness and matter, but we're talking about the prospects of consciousness, unfettered by matter, material uh, uh, constraints, and so forth. What we're talking, asking the question, in a sense, what is the consciousness of consciousness? That is, a, a, and this is, a, this is the question of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and this is the question of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. As I said, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, is considered to be an appearance of, of Krishna. Hmm? But what is the nature of that appearance? Hmm? You see, there are different ways in which we can assert and seek to give evidence that Sri Chaitanya, the founder, Acharya of our lineage, hmm? who taught, as I said, by his example, more than by words, and his example was ecstasy. I mean, you gotta, you got to think, wow, there's got to be a book about that. It's got to be talking about that in the book here somewhere. Hmm? You look through the Upanishads and the Gita and the Puranas and all the sacred texts, and this is what his followers did. They said, whatever he is, it's in here. This, this is what these books are talking about. What, what he is, that, that is desirable. Hmm? That by uttering the name of Krishna, he would fall into a swoon, hmm? and roll on the ground, with tears pouring from his eyes like, like a fountain, showering those beneath him, hairs erupting and standing on end in, the, in, in a sacred rathiyatra, perspiring blood. Hmm? You see, this is, our particular tradition is one that uh, excels in a, a, um, a explanation of an exploration of of ecstasy of bhava hmm? that's what it, uh, what it, where it, it's like it's 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 uh, um, uh, uh, well where it, where it excels hmm? this is its its focus hmm? what is bhava what is bhava bas what is chai bhava bas what is pratibimba pari bas what is pratibimba bhava bas what is what is what is Mm. What is Dasyabhav? What is Sakyabhav? What is Vatsalyabhav? Madhuryabhav? Mm. Kantabhav? Uh, Mahabhav? Mm. Maranakya? Modan Mahabhav? Modern Mahabhav? Maranakya Mahabhav? It's a very, I mean, like, this is all about a, a, a real exploration of ecstasy. Like you said, I said the other night, we see sometimes uh, it's popular to wear a t shirt. Be in the bhav. So it's, it's a good idea, but it's not so easy. And, and what is it? What is that subject? What is that bhava? Hmm? And so it, it, our tradition, it, we have a whole, for example, text Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. It's all exploration of the nature of bhava, what it is, what it's not, what a shadow of it is, what a partial manifestation of it is, what different, how some bhavs are 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 dominant, some are secondary and augment. Um, and what kind of movements different bhavas cause that, that constitute ecstasy hmm? in one who has that moving of the arms in certain ways in sakya bhav, like this and in, in, in madhurya bhav and this very uh, this is a very interesting subject like I said this is not a, a preoccupation with merely the difference between matter and spirit consciousness and matter but consciousness invested in itself exploring its possibilities, 
Mahaprabhu Chaitanya Devi said it was like a great waterfall of ecstasy. So you, it's like you can't get too close to that. Well, you just have to stand back. But his immediate followers, the Goswamis, they wrote volumes of books about what is that ecstasy. They located that ecstasy in the sacred texts that came centuries before them and so forth. Hmm? This way they made a, a lake out of the waterfall of his ecstasy that makes it approachable for us. Hmm? And the, the prospect, the opportunity to pursue something beyond zero and positive in, in the positive numbers by their grace has come to us. Hmm? He himself, Sri Chaitanya Dev, wrote only eight verses. Hmm? Tonight we come to the last of those eight verses. I've written a commentary on them, and and um, the verses clearly, uh, well, they, they come, um, they're found in a book called Padyabali, which is a compilation of different texts by Rupa Goswami. There they're not found in any particular order, hmm? although they are identified with certain teachings. Hmm? But uh, the author of the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Chaitanya Charitamrita is a, is a book. Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita. Charit means character. Hmm? Chaitanya means consciousness. Chaitanya Charit Amrit. Amrita means. Mritam means death. Amrita means immortal. It also means nectar. So the nectar, immortality, the immortal nectar of the character of consciousness. It's, a, it's this exploration of the nature of consciousness and not just the nature of what it's not. This is a very important point. I hope you'll appreciate. What is consciousness? You cannot say in one sense what it is because it's not like anything in the world. I made this point last night. Consciousness is experiential reality. Matter is non-experiential reality. There's, there's nothing like... There, what can you, how, you can't define a thing unless you can find something like it to compare it to. Hmm? That's how we make definitions. There's nothing in the world to compare it to. Therefore, in some of the texts, when we speak about consciousness, even in the Gita, in the beginning, what does it say about consciousness? The Atma. It's not this. It's not that. It's not this. Neti, neti. It can't be burned. Okay. What is it? It can't be burned. What is it? It can't drown. What is it? It can't be blown away by the wind. What is it? Hmm? And every answer is, it's not this. It's not that. Hmm? Difficult to put in words. Why? Because it transcends words. It transcends mind. It transcends reason. Hmm? But it's reasonable to pursue it. Hmm? <laughs> it, it, it's reasonable that we want to go beyond the, the, the reason, reason-ruled life. That's very boring. Hmm? Hmm. Love knows no reason, so that will have to be left behind. But you will have to reason well to leave it behind and, and be well off. Hmm? At a certain point, it may help you, but for comprehensive knowing and feeling and loving, hmm? it has its limits. Hmm? Well reasoned love is love that ultimately. Retires reasoning. This is the Brajalila. Gyan Shunya Bhakti. Bhakti unencumbered by the need to know. Bhakti that is rendered not because it should be rendered either. Hmm? We should do bhakti because if we do bhakti, then we become free from birth and death. 
we should do bhakti because there's God. No, no not with any such consideration. Hmm? We do bhakti because for bhakti. Hmm. Hmm. So it's very difficult to, as I say, define uh, consciousness. Hmm? And now we want to talk about not just the difference between consciousness and matter, which is a negative way of talking about it, but talking about give it. We have to give it some. It has positive content. That means it will take a shape hmm? and have qualities, characteristics, and so forth. This is what we mean by Krishna. If you to take Brahman, which is can't say much about, and concentrate it. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Talking is usually a waste of time. <laughs> and, and thinking as well. But if that were to be concentrated, hmm? Brahman. Hmm? We talked about a little bit about Leela. Leela means this movement that is the celebration of, the f- of, of, of fullness. It's not a necessity of, out of a lacking, but a necessity out of fullness. Hmm? Brahman is everywhere. So how can it move? I said this last night. If you're everywhere, how can you move? You can't. Krishna is Brahman moving. What is that? Leela then. What is that? And what is what is the cause of that move? What has made the impossible possible? That's what we call Radha. That's what we call Bhakti. Radhikar Premera Unmata. What is it? Ami Shisha Guru Natya. Krishna says, I am the student and the dancing of Radha, that is my guru, is animating me. Hmm? That which is everywhere moving, appearing, that which is all-pervasive, appearing as if local. Hmm? We, We will think ordinarily perhaps that form is a limitation. And we're talking about it in that way in many respects. Our material form is a limitation on ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. It's the me that I'm identified with, and the I is so much more fluid and has so many more possibilities. And when we talk about that I, I am, it becomes very broad, very kind of uh, undifferentiated. I mean, where's the differentiation? You're not. It means you're not American, you're not Indian, you're not Catholic or Hindu or man or woman or... You just are. It becomes rather profound, but rather kind of vague or spacious. Um, hmm? Now, as I said, we're going into positive numbers here, and again, it's starting to become concrete, almost. Hmm? There, there's differentiation. There are qualities. There are. Uh, if we go from material existence, those negative numbers, like being in jail, you know, to zero, it's like woo. I'm out, you know, <laughs> like that. You got a, like you got a passport. You know, I'm going. I'm out of here. We're talking about now getting a visa. Hmm? That's another thing. And now the shapes that we start to talk about. We talk about Krishna, Radha. You've seen the pictures of Krishna depicted in art, or Radha, for example. Hmm? Hmm? And we're t- trying to talk about what what's trying to be depicted there, what's being portrayed there, philosophically, theologically, what's, what's being said. Hmm? 
we started to say, wait a minute, Swami, you were just saying like forms and names, and this is all like limiting, and, and now you're, you're talking about them. So the idea is that what? It's like this. Yes, Brahman is spacious. I am. It's spacious. Hmm? I exist. It's huge. And I'm loving it. Something like that. I'm loving it. Hmm? No more anxiety. No more death. Nothing like that. I, lo- I exist and I'm loving it. Hmm? Now, that means that there's some love there. It, it's a loving to exist. What we're talking about now in the terms of positive numbers going from there is existing to love. You tell me which is better. Is it better to love to exist or is it better to exist to love? There's no question in your mind. Hmm? Everyone has the right answer. Intuitively, almost before I can finish the question, hmm? this is what Bhakti is talking about. Positive numbers, hmm? this is what we want. Hmm? The very human condition speaks to us about our prospect. Hmm? It's being partially expressed in a, in a forced way. We, we, are, we are consciousness... Now we're in a human form, and a human form is just allowing that consciousness to come to the fore, so that it's starting to... We have to understand, nature, in a sense, is waking up, what we call this human life, to the fact that it has a soul. It's like, wow. We're self-consciousness. Atma's there in all species, but in human life, it can start to think about itself. I can liken the material existence to jail, human life to then probation. Hmm? You get to go out a little bit and, and you get to do something voluntarily. Do you understand? Yeah, you have some dogs. Let's say you have two dogs and you invite them for dinner. Dinner! And they're not going to just run. And there's one going to say, oh, you go first. No, why don't you go? <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. There's no opportunity in that condition or very little for voluntary action. Hmm? You understand? Because the Atma in that condition is is more absorbed in the material condition and more more pressed by it, by the necessities that it imposes upon it. And that it's it cannot it's it, you see, we are a unit of will, but but matter suppresses will. Bhakti facilitates will. That's a very interesting idea. Hmm? The will that we are, freedom that we are a unit of is facilitated by bhakti and matter suppresses it. So in the less complex forms of life, you, you really practically can't do anything voluntarily. And human life gives us the opportunity to say, well, you go first. It's a huge beginning. It means the self is coming out. It's a unit of loving capacity and will. Pujapad Bhakti Rakshak once once told me, my Siksha Guru, he said, if you want to understand what is the Vrindavan Leela of Krishna, hmm, go to the Howrah train station. That's a train station in Calcutta. Hmm? Huh? Some of you may have been there. You go to the train station and 10,000 people are all trying to get through the same little door <laughs> at the same time. Hmm? You know, it's a poor country. It's a third world country. And it's getting richer as we go along these days and less desirable but as a result of it but in many respects. But it's a madhouse, you know. So if, he said, if you would go to the Howrah train station and 
suddenly everybody said, you first, you first. Everybody. Yeah, you can understand Vrindavan, something like that. It's a land of giving. Chintamani hmm? Dham. Hmm? Even the dust is giving there. Shyakanta Kanta Parama Purusha Kalpataruva Dumabhumis Chintamani Ganamahi Toyam Amritam Kataganam Natyam Gamanam Apivamsi Priyasaki These are nice description of that place. It is said in the Samhita of Brahma. There, the walking is dancing, the talking is song, for example, that place. And Jiva Goswami, one of the commentators, he wrote, what must be the singing? What must be the dancing there? You understand? If the walking is dancing, what must be the dancing? Hmm? If the talking is singing, what must be the singing? Hmm? These are ways to try to talk about something that's so far beyond words and mind. Hmm? Hmm? To try to, to give some scope and uh, what that is and what prospect that brings before us. Human life, if we investigate it very carefully, it speaks to us about what we're talking about. And what I'm saying here is not anything really that's, that's relative to a, a book per se. Hmm? We're trying to plumb the depths of the human experience. Hmm? We are living for love. Hmm? Hmm? It's a fact that we that that our pursuit of love is frustrated. So we may try to move away from it in one sense, but the human heart really is what animates us. Hmm? One time I was on a plane years ago, and and I couldn't avoid the movie. It was the last Star Trek, you know. <laughs> I was not a fan of the show, but uh, nonetheless, um, it was the last episode, and 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 they went and they looked for God, hmm? and in the end, they were they wondered if they had found him or not, and Captain Kirk turned to Spock, I guess his name, and said, "Well, what do you think?" He said, "I think God is in the human heart," and Spock kind of went, "That's weird," because he was a you know non-emotional. <laughs> character from another planet where they didn't have any hearts, I guess, or emotions. Um, but there's some truth to that, is what I want to say. Hmm? With the human heart, we try to make animals into humans, don't we? We try to treat them like humans. Hmm? And be considerate in ways that they're not with one another and so forth. What we're trying to do, really, is we're, really, we're having some impression of ourself and our possibilities as an Atma, beyond American or Indian. And we're trying to deal with that without really understanding it accurately. So we're trying to express it in relation to the human experience. These sacred texts are come to help us kind of hone that in such a way that we can actually find the more that we are. We feel that there's more to life than what meets the eye and the mind. And the truth is, there is more, and it's you. You're more than an eye and a mind. And how more you are in potential, this is what the bhakti tradition wants to speak to us about, how much more you are, not unto yourself, but in terms of your potential, but at the same time it wants to say, you're never unto yourself. That is called tatasta. Tata. Tatasta, the jiva, the atma. In the bhakti is called tata. It means like, if you were to make a line 
between the ocean and the sand. You could draw a line that demarks the sand from the ocean. You think you could draw that? Well, not without getting wet or not without getting dry, right? It's, it's, an, it's kind of an, there's an imaginary line there. That's us. In other words, we are very much defined by our environment, and we, there's no situation in which we are not either on the land or on the sea, so to speak, on this drowning in the sea of material desire or on the land of spiritual prospect. If somehow you got waylaid in between in zero, well, there would be some suspended animation that constitutes peace and so forth. <laughs> but your but your prospect, hmm? Hmm? With the ingress of bhakti into your life is huge in comparison. Hmm? The prospects for entering into Leela. Hmm? Leela, that is, I've said before, God is omniscient. What's the problem with that? There's a problem with omniscient. And you think, if I knew everything, there would be no problems. The problem is I don't know everything. I'm constantly trying to get more knowledge. So if you knew everything, all problems would be solved. But he who has all knowledge realizes there's a problem with omniscience. What is it? It's boring. If you know, if you know everything, what can you do? I mean, I know everything. What do I do now? It's the minute you start to do things, you're, you're stuck. You know what's going to happen. You know? <laughs> So what do you do when you're bored? Then you play. That is called Leela. Hmm? You know, this is ontological reality, this Leela. We're studying the nature of, 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 of consciousness, and it's the, the, the fountainhead, if you will, of consciousness, our consciousness source. He's playing, hmm? moving, hmm? although everywhere. And what's fostering, generating that movement, that we call Radha. Hmm? That is bhakti. Hmm? And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, although he only spoke eight verses, hmm, and they're recorded at the end of the book, this Chaitanya Charitamrita, which is, a, as I said, a dissertation on the immortal character of consciousness. It's, it means it's talking about, as I say, consciousness in a positive context. Not It's not this, it's not that. But what is its character in eternality, and it, it implies in the very meaning, very very name of the book, that its character in immortality is 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 like uh, it's very sweet, amrit, it's nectar, it's it's uh, it's very it's charming, beautiful. If I am to move from prison of material existence to the zero of Brahman, and from there I am to move to reverential love of God. And I come in touch with the Vaikuntham and Vishnu and so forth. It sounds like it's getting smaller because I was just everywhere and now there's this, you know, place. And then I go from there to Goloka, to Krishna Lila. It becomes even smaller. And the Braj, just a little village. You want us to go there? I thought you had a big idea in mind. I am sounded really big. I am a Gopa. I am a Gopi. That sounds very small. That sounds like I'm American. Hmm? No, no. You've got to listen very carefully. It's not like I'm an American or I'm an Indian. I'm a cowherd. 
I'm a, I'm a milkmaiden. Hmm? Means I'm a player in that Leela. And why is it big? And how is it big? And how is it bigger than, than the prison house of material existence? Bigger than Brahman, which is everywhere? Bigger than Vaikuntha, which is an opulent display of overtly... God has four hands there? Like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, Krishna has two hands. He plays a flute. Hmm? And, he, and he, he wrestles with his friends and he loses sometimes. Hmm? And, and above and beyond everything, he wonders, Subal, she loves me, she loves me not. What do you think? She loves me, she loves me not. He says to his friend, who says, Radhe, Radhe, in his ear, and he gets energy. It's okay, she loves you. What is this? Hmm? God, suddenly, like God is like, his position is in question. You see, in our tradition, God is in an existential crisis. That's a problem for everybody in the religious world. We are in an existential crisis. And the Chaitanya Charitamrita says, God is in an existential crisis. We'd say, oh my God, now what? <laughs> if, if God is wondering, what am I? Who am I? Why am I? What, what, how are we ever going to figure out what... But we are. No, it's, it works very well, actually. This existential crisis of Krishna. Hmm? What is it about? He said, I am the king of love. Hmm? What makes that two-armed form of Krishna playing the flute and the depiction of his abode, a little village of cowherds and uh, agriculture and so forth, what makes it big in compared to I am? Hmm? The difference is, in, in, the measure is in affection. You understand? What makes a place more accommodating? Space or affection? I could drop you off in the Sahara Desert. You'd have all the space you wanted. <laughs> but if there's nobody else there, hmm? then what? Hmm? But if I put you under a rock with somebody you love, then oh, that's big enough. <laughs> It's a big space. <laughs> I don't need any more. Is it? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu lived in a room, about eight by eight stone room. What came out of that? What a big idea came out of that. Hmm? We're looking for space, room. This is where to go. By affection, you'll find space, accommodating space. Hmm? By love. So this movement from material existence, which is a world of taking, as I said, it's criminal. Welcome. There's no love. Only facsimile of love. Hmm? Some semblance of love. Even that is, as I said earlier, somewhat worth pursuing. Hmm? Because as soon as we enter into even ordinary love, we find, whoops, something's being asked of me. Right? We enter into a relationship and realize, oh, it's not just, <laughs> i got to give something here, too. Hmm. So, love is born out of sacrifice. The womb of love is sacrifice. Hmm? We analyze even our material love, we find, oh, it's really about giving. Hmm? That's why it's not good to pursue a relationship if you're not a little bit full. <laughs> right? <laughs> 
if you kind of kind of figure yourself out a little bit, you know, it's a real recipe for for a problem. Hmm? So this Krishna idea, Radha Krishna, is a big idea because his idea of not loving to exist but existing to love hmm? in Brahman, existing to love. Krishna is the center, so by giving to the center, then we get in a way that we could not otherwise. If we give to the stomach, the stomach is the only organ in the body that can take the food and distribute it to every part of the body. Krishna is depicted as the enjoyer, the perfect object of love. And he's so in one sense because he can fully reciprocate and give. He can turn your giving back to you. As I said, love is evaluated, evaluated or evaluated, evaluated on a scale, if at all, of reciprocal dealings. So Krishna, the perfect object of love, can perfectly reciprocate. He said, as they approach me, I can reciprocate accordingly. In this verse of the Gita, we find Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. In this verse of the Gita, we find Radha. Hmm? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is that Krishna trying to find what it is, what to do. I promised that as people approach me, I'll reciprocate accordingly. But Radha is that person who has approached me in such a way that I cannot, like, reciprocate. Her approach itself exceeds anything in my uh, uh, possession to reciprocate with. So Krishna being the uh, God, being a lover, hmm? When he sees the measure of Radha's love, bhakti, in its supreme form, he wants to taste that love. Hmm? Now Radha, of course, is not going to give him her love because if she gives him her love, that will be a problem for the whole religious world because he will go mad. Hmm? This is the idea. It's maddening. Hmm? It's bad enough that he's in an existential crisis because he thinks, I'm, I'm the king of love. But now I see that Radha's love exceeds anything. She sees me in a way that allows her to derive more than ecstasy than I can derive by examining myself. Am I the king of love? So he's in an existential crisis. What, I, so he, of course, he's crafty, so he makes a solution. She's reticent to give him the love because if he gives, if she gives him her love, then that love will be proclaimed throughout the world as the highest thing. And she likes to think Krishna's the highest. Everyone should know that. Hmm? She liked to keep a little bit in the background, hmm? such as her good character. Hmm? But Krishna, he loves Radha. He wants to tell the whole world, Jai Radhe. That is Gaudiya Vaishnava, Jai Radhe. So she won't give it, therefore he steals it. Hmm? Krishna's a thief. But he's an honest thief. Hmm? Could it be? He's an honest thief. He steals her love to tell the world the truth. Hmm? The truth is, not that God is the most worshipable object, but that God has a worshipable object that we call Radha. Hmm? Hmm? That love, bhakti, personified as Radha, is what brings, it, it Krishna, draws Krishna and the Atma and the Jiva together. Krishna bows to that. This is, the, this is very high into the positive numbers analogy we are speaking about. This is 108. Because if you think you go to 108, you find Krishna. But there Krishna is 
step, step down and we find Radha who steps in, who stays in the background. It's like that song. What was that song? Um, the wind beneath my wings or something like that. Radha is the wind between, beneath Krishna's wings. Uh, always comf- content to stay in the background and so forth, but let it be known. It should be known. This is what Krishna as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu comes to experience and broadcast to the world. So it's a little late, but he says, Asli Shiva Padaratam Pinashtumam Adarjanam Marmatam Kurotuva what happens, this is the last verse of his eight teachings, which are really, his teachings are just outpourings of his ecstasy, taking the form of some some words that are poetic. It's not like he sat to compose it, something in, 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 as much as just an outpouring of his ecstasy as it's described in Chaitanya Charitamrita in the company of his friends, his intimates, Sorup and Rai Ramananda, he comes out with this is the very end of the book and the very end of his all of his teachings, and all of the teachings of the whole book are found in these eight stanzas. Hmm? And what all they all constitute is Krishna pursuing the experience of Radha's love, what it's like to be a devotee of myself. Hmm? How glorious is that then? Krishna's maddened to find out what it is like to be my devotee. I think that is more desirable than to be me. Hmm? I want to experience that. How will I do that? That's what this book, that's what these verses are about. How he goes about that. And by doing that, instructs us how we can go about tasting the highest love, tasting Radha's love for Krishna. There's a way to do that. Hmm? By attaching ourselves to Radha. He has done that. In this verse, therefore, Krishna says, in this verse, Radharani is speaking. It means Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is successful. He's done it. He is Krishna. Trying to taste Radha's love, he's done it. He's not, these words he's speaking, they are Radha's words. And they are full with sanchari bhavs, of humility, envy, jealousy, um, uh, jubilation, the stai bhav of, 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 of uh, madurasa, Hmm? Madhuri Bhav. Hmm. And so many nuanced uh, emotions of that love are being described here in a very kind of condensed way such that the core of that experience is conveyed to the general public while the more informed can go very deeply into that intricacies and nuances of that ecstasy of Radha's love for Krishna that we call Madanakya Mahabhav. What is the core idea that is brought out here? The verse says, He may embrace me, devoted as I am to his feet, or he may torment me and break my heart by hiding from me. Being a playboy, he's free to do whatever he likes. For he alone is the Lord of my life. The idea here is is that at the core of Radha's love for Krishna is the ego of serving. Hmm? This is what we have to draw from that for our, ourselves practically. Hmm? If you want to understand Malamakya Mahabhav, hmm? if you want to understand Gopi's love for Krishna, it's not that you go stu- or Manjari Bhav, not that you go study some 12-year-old girl. That, that won't help you very much. Hmm? You study how to be a servant, how to forego the enjoying ego, the exploiting ego, the taking ego, 
if you do this in the context of Chaitanya Vaishnavism, what happens is that you, you end your criminal life, if you will, your karmic implication, in such a way that in the course of doing so, you're simultaneously purchasing real estate in, in the land of, inner landscape of, 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 of Leela. Hmm? So the best defense is a good offense, something like that, this idea of bhakti. And it's really how we're prone, anyway, to try to love and so forth, uh, and, and so on. I mean, I could tell you, you know, we've said a lot of things tonight, I could say, so, you know, you shouldn't desire material things, thinking is a problem, so go home and stop thinking. That we, that would be a little difficult pill to swallow. It's not as difficult to say, go home and sing Hare Krishna. That is a little easier. Hmm? So, in this way, we try to say something in a broad way hmm, about the significance of, of rather philosophical and theological uh, language. So you might appreciate that very extraordinary reality and, and have some hope that and, and some some uh, attraction for that that will inform our our practice. Some kind of bhakti sangskar comes from these kind of gatherings. It's very useful. Over lifetimes, this bhakti sangskar will turn into rati. Hmm? That's where it comes from. It doesn't come from anywhere else. Hmm? Only comes from good sadhusanga. It's not of this world. Bhaktiya sanjataya bhaktiya. Bhakti only comes from bhakti. Hmm? Thank you very much. Any question? Jai Radhe. What's the time? 7 10. Okay. Okay, wait a minute. Yeah, we talked for a long time. Okay. Go ahead. How can, um, if, if Radharani's the, the wind beneath his wings, then how can Krishna steal her, her love? <laughs> well, these are poetic ways of talking about something. Yeah. You know, uh, you have to understand the point. Like if I say, Ayur Harati Vaipum Sam Udyanastan Chayanasava Bhagavad says, and the sun, as it flies across the sky, rising and setting, is taking away your life. And you say, Swami, really the sun is not really going across the sky, but the earth is going around, and it only looks like the sun is going across the sky. What will I say? I say, no, you don't get it. You're dying. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> You're dying. <laughs> That's what we're talking about here. So, you know, in, in poetry is a good language to try to talk about subjects that transcend um, thought and, um, and a world where there appears to be impossibilities. We're talking about a world where impossible doesn't exist. It's not part of the, the dictionary there. So if we were to talk about that, poetry is, is a good language. Math is a descriptive language that lends itself to controlling things. Hmm? And maya means, in one sense, to measure. Maya means, so we want to measure, we want to control things, um, and that's maya. <laughs> it's not possible. But in poetry, poetry is a, is a, is a more of a participatory language where we're we, we, we're, we're drawn into participating in the world and making the world bigger than what it is. In poetry, the moon can have wings and fly across the sky. It's not a problem. Hmm? So the Leela, the whole Bhagavad is, is poetry. It's, it's spoken in, in poetry, but it's very, of course, profound poetry. 
So you asked if Radha is the wind between beneath Krishna's wings. Is that what? It, then no, no. I was referring way. to the fact that it, isn't it that Radharani is giving her love to Krishna, and he's uh-huh. not able to steal it because she is very powerful. Well, you know, she loves Krishna. In that way, she gives her love to Krishna. She's an embodiment of giving to Krishna. Even when Krishna but, comes as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But no, no. But you're missing a point. Radha gives her love to Krishna by way of loving Krishna. But what Krishna wants is to have the experience that she has of loving him. You understand? That's different. I may give my love to you, but that doesn't mean that you know what it's like to be me loving you. And that's great. <laughs> You're very good. You were a very good host last night. I appreciate it. So... <laughs> So, so if you want that experience, that's complex. No, uh, uh, you don't want my love. You want my experience of loving you. So this is like Krishna's pretty complex. Yeah, yeah. That's a very interesting idea. You see, but if you study that idea, if you study Krishna, you understand he must do that. There must be a Chaitanya. There must be a Gore. That's why Gore Lila is not different from Krishna Lila. It's an, it's an extension of Krishna Lila. It's not a separate avatar. Krishna wants to taste prema madhurya. Varaha doesn't want to taste prema madhurya. Nishringa doesn't want to, Ram doesn't want to, they don't, they're, they're not surrounded by it. Lakshmi Sahasra Sattasambhama Sevyamano. Sevyamano. Not just many Lakshmis, but Sevyamano. With such affection they have. In Vaikuntha, Narayan has a Lakshmi. Krishna has thousands of Lakshmis. And they're endowed with extraordinary love. And so he's driven to taste it. What is it like to be? To, what is it that drives them? It's, it's maddening him. So this is a very complex issue. Hmm? In one sense, how can she give it to him? What will she become? That's why Gadadhar. It's like an empty bag <laughs> in Gorleva, <laughs> trying to catch, trying to get his bhava back. Mahaprabhu is is is, is trying to steal it. This is, this is a poetic way. Of, Explaining it. What else? Another question? <laughs> very charming topics. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Thanks for making the journey. The journey is the destination. <laughs> Thank you very much. Sridhi ki jai. Oh, Bhaktivinoda ki jai. Oh, Premanandi.